The Merriam-Webster's Dictionary Word of the Year for 2022 is Gaslighting. Also, a great song by the, the Chicks, Gaslighter. And the album is, is solid as well, but the song, oh, ooh, what a banger. Although the word of the year is gaslighting, it very well could also be burnout. We're in the third year of a pandemic. A lot of people started their kind of creativity, you know, sourdough starters, bacon bread was the big trend in the spring of 2020. You might have started a side hustle because you're saving time, not commuting into the office, all kinds of things like that. But this hustle culture has led to burnout. And it, it makes it seem like we just don't have enough time to do anything, even though you've saved time by maybe not going out to eat as regularly, not having to drive so many places, maybe getting some more sleep and feeling more energized, but you're still in that sense of burnout, of just a never-ending list of things that you have to do and no time to do it with. Well, you're in luck. I mean, not because of that. That part's not as lucky, but you're in luck because my guest today helps business owners reclaim that precious, precious time. She used to own a tech company and she was working 70-hour work weeks. That's a lot of work weeks. There's 168 hours in a week. So that's basically like, what, 38, 40% of your time working and then you're factoring sleep too. What are you doing besides work when you're awake very little? And yet she cut it all the way down to a 10-hour work week and has the documentation to prove it as we talk about in this episode. So if you're skeptical that a 10-hour work week is possible, she has done it. She is Veronica Kieran, and she works with entrepreneurs to help them scale their businesses and achieve the freedom and influence that they envision. She calls it an empire. So we're talking all about how you can build your empire as a small business owner, as an entrepreneur. We're talking about the three pillars of business scaling and how you need to do them in order to make your business thrive the way it was meant to be. We're also talking about the upcoming Empire Retreat that Veronica is hosting in May of 2023 in Croatia. I'm taking a trip to Europe, so I selfishly asked about some of the things to do in Croatia, and I'm sold. It sounds majestic and fantastic. Veronica also shares some of her favorite books that have helped her throughout her entrepreneurial and writing journey. So there's lots of goodies in this episode. And why wait? Let's start pulling up the pillars. Let's start scaling to the next part of this episode. I'm Joey Held. This is Good People, Cool Things. And here's a conversation with Veronica Kieran. To kick things off, can you give us your name and your elevator pitch, but also the type of elevator that we're riding on? Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I have a couple of elevators. <laughs> typical entrepreneur. <laughs> uh, but I'm Veronica Kieran, and I am here to eradicate burnout from the small business world. And we're definitely going to get into some of that. But first, you be, before you got into what you're currently doing now, you sold your tech company mm -hmm. where you achieved what I think might be unheard of in the tech world <laughs> of a 10-hour work week. So how did you pull that um, off? After burning out, <laughs> just to like start there after burning out. Um, yeah, I spent a week in bed and either had to 
choose to change my entire belief system and sense of identity by giving up the business. Or the the more hopeful solution was to find a way out. And I had a um, a mentor at the time who was a, a startup coach. He wasn't a, a small business coach. He was a startup coach. And I think that's what made the difference because he said point blank, you need to scale. And I'd never heard scaling put in the context of a small business. It's always been around startups getting large injections of funds or you know CEOs of large corporations. Um, and so once that idea was in my head, I started stealing the startup scaling toolbox, repurposing it for small businesses. And at that point, that's where my hours started to just slough off. I went from 70 hours to a 10 hour work week by the time I sold the company. And it is legally documented. I can prove it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's explore a little more of the scaling for a startup versus a small business, Mm -hmm. because I agree. I feel like when you're, you're, you know, you're looking at like trying to think of a startup that's been trending lately, but whatever that they change so quickly that in between recording and when this episode comes out, there might be 30 new ones, but (laughs) you hear it, you know, of like, even, even like the, the startups that you'll see on like a shark tank for people that maybe aren't as regularly invested in, in business or or aren't entrepreneurs of their own. They'll see it of like, yeah, you know, we had like just the two of us and now (laughs) we got, 10 million dollars and we're we're growing like crazy and it's right. it it doesn't seem to ever be the the small business side of things. So how what are kind of the differences between that cuz you mentioned kind of stealing from the toolbox and then tweaking it for a small business. So what kind of what kind of changes did that look like? Yeah, um just like you said like we we start to think that um hiring and major marketing pushes are what needs to come with scaling. Uh and that's what we see with startups that they get as you said, you know, $10 million or even a million or 500,000. And this money is specifically to go for opening new markets and for bringing on personnel in order to expand the technology um, so that we can meet those needs. And um, it's that's honestly what stops a lot of people in their tracks when they're thinking I need to scale and they're a small business. So when I get people coming in my door and they say, okay, I'm burning out. And I say, okay, we need to scale you. Their response is, but I don't have the money to scale, right? So we have this mythos that scaling is specifically about um, huge injections of funds, going out and doing major marketing uh, campaigns, bringing on personnel. Um, And what the core of scaling is about is getting the business organized in a way that the CEO or the staff or really any one person is not in the way of its growth. And that's why small business owners are burning out because they don't realize that you are not the business. You own a business that does work in which you are an expert. So stop doing the work yourself. Um, and I, I was absolutely, I had special snowflake syndrome. <laughs> I really believed that I was the only anthropologist in the tech world um, that could do what I could do. And once I took my head, you know, out of the sand and started to realize, wow, I'm in a tech company. I could be using tech to really amplify this business, take tasks off my plate, make the company run smoother and more systematically, have better results for the clients so we get more referrals so then we have more money and I'm working less so our margins are better, 
now I can start to hire, but that came last. So yes, it's a happy domino effect once you, once you start to figure it out. First of all, thank you for using the more, um, or I guess the less vulgar uh, head out of the sand. Oh, you know, high that school basketball the, coach yeah. would have said head and head, get your head out of your ass. Yes, that's that was, that's the, his, uh, <laughs> I, yes, I, I politify, I politify myself for a podcast. <laughs> and then I just come like the Kool-Aid man and, and barrel through the wall with the, the vulgarity. Anyway. Word. It's, that's how we do it here. Uh, <laughs> was there um, a particular, like, as you were kind of realizing, like, hey, I, I am not the business, were there certain, whether they were, like, you know, daily or weekly or monthly things that were taking up a lot of your time? Like, like I guess everything. is this a repeatable sort of thing for a lot? It's just everything in general. <laughs> Literally everything. <laughs> because I had this concept in my head that by being high touch, I was doing my clients a favor and differentiating us from other businesses. And that by constantly reinventing the wheel in my business. Every time I sat down to do a task, I would, even if I had done it several times before, I always started fresh, always started with the new way of doing it. So I'm constantly expending creative energy and constantly hurting cats with my clients. And so, yeah, of course I was exhausted. Yikes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was doing everything manually. Uh It was a bad, it was just a bad idea. But I'd had no business training. As I said, you know, I was an anthropologist and then I was a disaster relief worker for the U.S. government for two years. So I was used to people telling me what to do (laughs) Uh, or working alongside people in order to make something happen through manpower, not through tech power. Something that I've heard from people that work in the government that have had a government experience is that in terms of like new technology and like particularly around like automation or like things uh, that maybe use the cloud or like new technology that the government tends to kind of be ahead of the curve on that. But because of how it's just structured internally, sometimes they don't really like, like maybe like a couple people get to test something out, but it's not like widely implemented until way after the the curve then so then people are like oh like the dmv is always behind like it's the worst place on earth like types of of criticisms but from people i've i've spoken to in the past that have you know kind of been more behind the scenes on that they're like no actually there's like some pretty cool things that they've been testing out it's just because to implement it might be like a a significant amount of money or you know time and, and training and all that that they just don't have that is is kind of like a oh well now we're just gonna wait and make sure it it like works in like a global scale as opposed to just yeah. hoping that it works. And I I was curious like have you did you have a similar experience when you were in the government where it's like oh there's like the potential for cool things but it kind of got stifled a little bit just because of the way the system was set up. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Or if you can't answer that without getting into trouble. No, I won't get into trouble. Um, (laughs) But thank you. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I'm thinking about, I was deployed with FEMA in 2009 to American Samoa after the tsunami. And um, for those that don't realize, yes, we still, the United States government still owns islands in the Pacific. We don't know why it's a bad idea. Let people be independent. Anyway, so American Samoa, um, major tsunami. And, um, and so with FEMA, we did, 
there was some tech involved with the case, the case working even in 2009. Um, so the forms were like fillable PDFs sort of, and then, um, that's how we processed that. But honestly, um, all of my quantifiables, because I was working for the government, so we had quantifiables, uh, were done on paper. And then I had to translate that into some kind of Microsoft Word document. And then I had to send that off to Congress. So I don't, you know, nowadays I don't, I, I'm not in touch, you know, with, with the way things are going. Um, but, uh, I don't know. To me, sometimes I watch the rollout of tech and I'm just, I roll my eyes. <laughs> so, but that's, yeah. So for 2009, not too bad, you know, um, and, and that was really the time, um, over the couple of years that I was, was doing that work. Um, my first year was, um, like nobody had even a personal laptop. Like it just wasn't done. Like, of course we had laptops, but nobody brought them out, um, to, to their response like you left that um on base and then and then the next year the iphone came out right this is 2009 and that's where things started to change and about half my team had their laptops with them and it was really weird so again <laughs> i was on that cusp of where technology was really taking a turn and so i don't know that i i my opinion is very relevant anymore. <laughs> I did not have an iPhone when it first came out. Mm -hmm. Despite, I think I had just been kind of getting into the mecca of Apple. Yeah. Because I, I was still a college student, I remember, because I wanted that sweet, sweet right. college student discount. Right, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I gotta get it. I think I was more interested in Final Cut Pro, though, because <laughs> I was a broadcast journalism student. And I'm like, wait, I can edit on my own computer instead of coming into the... The lab and and having to work around other people. Oh, Mind blowing. Simpler times. Amazing <laughs> opportunity for people with ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got my MacBook, my first one, the white, the one that came after the clamshell. Man, I think that was a long time ago. Um, or no, it must have been two after that. The white one. Uh, and it came with an iPod and we paid extra to get the U2 iPod because that's how long ago this was. <laughs> anyway. I still have my iPod. I love the iPod. My, I have my that's U2 fantastic. iPod here in Berlin. I brought it with me. Oh, love it. Love to see it. It love was to nice to it. listen to music without things interrupting. You know, kids, if you're listening, there was a time when you could listen to music and nothing interrupted it. What a glorious, <laughs> glorious time. Just put your phone on airplane mode. All these anyway. songs in your pocket. Yeah. Oh, love it. Back love to it. business. <laughs> yes. Back to business. You, you've got uh, perhaps, perhaps fitting because you talk about building an empire and within that empire, there are the three pillars of business. So what are the three pillars and or is, is one of them... I don't want to say the weakest one, but like one that people seem to neglect more. Or have you found in working with people that that all three people sometimes struggle with? No, I yeah. So that's a great point um, or a great a great question. So the the three pillars of business scaling are my interpretation of the startup scaling toolbox. So of course, there's more to it. There's way more to it, but it all boils down to three things. 
And uh, if you work them, you can work them within a small business easily. So the first is automation. And kind of in in tandem with automation um, is this sloughing off because when you sit down to uh, automate a task, you kind of realize, do I really need to be doing this? And there's this beautiful moment where you start letting things go that you were lying to yourself about. Uh Automation is actually then I would say the, the the weak link. Like it's it's not weak in scaling. It's weak in that a lot of people don't do it because they're either afraid of privacy and data usage, valid, and I have tips for that, uh, or they don't realize that technology has become so powerful that it can be very customized and your clients and customers won't realize it's not you. Uh, it will feel 100% on brand and on message and like they're being taken care of, which is what we all want. From there, we get into systemizing. And I put these in order for a reason, because you shouldn't be systemizing things that could be done by technology for you in your sleep. So then once we get into systems, there are many systems that a small business should have. So that's where we start getting into that branching off of like, yes, there's the marketing system and there's uh, the the system for onboarding clients and the lead generation system, the sales system and all that stuff, right? The technology, social media, there's tons of systems you should have. Um, the resistance I hear in that case is that um, I don't have time or energy to create a system. And that's where I call your bluff, because if you've done it once, you've already built a system for it. And we just have to document the steps. Um, and so then it really becomes about documentation. And that's the key. If you document your systems well, then you can get to the next pillar. And so just to recap, what we've done with automation is removed things from your plate you didn't need to do. So we just let those go. And then we started using technology to do the rest of what could be automated. And so now you have more free time. Now your stress has reduced. Then we start to systemize. We stop doing all that creative BS energy where you don't need to be creative in your business. You've done it a few times. Stop doing it from scratch. Put it down. Document it so you can study it and improve and be creative right where it's needed, not in the entire process. So now, again, your mind is relaxed. You can be in your business as easily as one might romanticize working for uh, another company in corporate would feel because you're given the systems. You don't have to think as hard, right? So now life is getting good, but now we get to the third pillar, which is hiring. And and this is where a lot of entrepreneurs go, what? But I thought I didn't want to hire because it takes money. Your margins have improved. Your quality of work has gone up. Your clients are referring more than they ever did before. So you have way more money. And if you're going to keep growing, you have to hire. The amazing thing is that by documenting your systems, it's now really easy to hire because all you have to do is hand over the documentation. So the training process is a breeze. You can't not hire. I mean, you can outsource. Outsourcing is hiring in my book. It's the same thing. You're asking someone else, a human, to do the things that technology can't quite do 100%. You know, um, if you don't hire, then you are the bottleneck in your business. You can only take on as much as you can do. So I want you to have no burnout and I want you to have as much income or, uh, you know, as big of an empire as you really want. So you'll have to get you'll have to get to the third pillar eventually, but in your own time. 
I think honestly, what sticks with me is when people tell me their stories and and how how difficult life has been when they have been working to this vision, right? Like we become business owners because we have a vision. Um, and they're working so hard and they believe in themselves and they believe in the vision and they're wondering why, why does life suck so much? Like, why does living your dreams suck so much? <laughs> and it's, it's because of this. It's because we don't give small business owners the tools that they need in order to be successful and to have more freedom. Like the under the un, subtext for everything I'm saying is more freedom, and so um, I think I think it's not a particular question. It's when when either I'm talking with a you know fellow podcast host about this, and I hear those little stories start to come out, or you know I was at a conference last week and somebody is saying to me after my speech, I want to start this company and, um, enter a new market. And I'm just really afraid. Right. That sticks with me. Just fear in general, I think is, is a very common thing. I mean, for all of us, like there's, there's times where I'm even just like walking down the street to my mailbox mm -hmm. and I hear something unusual and I'm like, wait a minute, that's, that shouldn't be like that. And so I think, yeah, I think those are the, the most kind of in, impactful sort of conversations that you have. I wanted to go back to automation because I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there of like, there's either the, the data privacy issue. Mm -hmm. And I would say, again, this is a small, significantly smaller sample size than the entire <laughs> global population. But I would say there's, it's probably more hesitancy on the latter side of things of, of almost not understanding what, is out there and like what automation can help with. So do you have an example of, of either, uh, you know, like a tool or a platform or something that is fantastic with automation and how it works just as like a, you know, explain it to me like I'm five type of example <laughs> for someone who maybe yes. hears automation and goes leaping out a window. Yeah. <laughs> Great illustration. Um, yeah. You know, if you're thinking about tipping your, dipping your toe into automation and you're just really not sure, um, a really great place to start is Zapier. And um, what Zapier does is connect apps and programs that otherwise wouldn't be connected. For example, I have a private community called Scaling Lab. Um, it's where small business owners can come together and help each other, but also then take the courses and look at the guides that I've created for all this. And it's it's on its own platform. I made that choice because I didn't want dirty, dirty Facebook involved in my business anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so how do I then connect them to my email list if, if I'm not using something as popular as Facebook? And Zapier is able to do that for me because I want them to be able to get the newsletter. It's part of the core offering uh, of support that I provide. And so so how are we going to do that? And Zapier can um, can read the app and see when somebody signs up and it creates a trigger that goes straight into, brings that information straight into my email list. And, um, and then that within 
the email list, like MailChimp, right, has a trigger to send them that welcome message and then a quick update as to, you know, you'll be getting the newsletter and here's a few other things that might help you off the bat um, to help orient them, right? So, so all those things going together, like, are very important to offer to new members, um, but they wouldn't happen without Zapier. So if you feel like, okay, I have all these different apps, how could they work better together? I would just go on Zapier and see what it even has to offer, but also um, know that probably I'd say like 90% of the apps out there that are geared to small businesses will work with Zapier. So even if you don't see them in Zapier, go back into that app and look to see how might it actually work with Zapier or even contact support. Cause I, I guarantee it probably does work with Zapier. Um, and as I mentioned, if you have an email list, like if you're on MailChimp or, um, ConvertKit or anything like that, you have automation available to you easily with, um, you know, welcome emails or, um, any sort of email sequence. And you really should be using those to make people feel comfortable and to support them when they join your list, whatever that might look like. So um, those are a couple of really easy examples of automation. Also your freaking calendar. Like <laughs> you should, you should be using Calendly or something like, so that it's very easy. This is at, uh, here. True story. Quick case study. My client had way too much client exposure on her end. Um, they were able to call her on weekends, uh, and bend her, her ear at seven o'clock at night, like just really inappropriate amount of access to her as a consultant. And, um, she was having difficulty setting the boundary, right? Because she, she didn't, she didn't want to, to have her clients misread that. Um, and so we decided to use Calendly in order to make that happen. So we set up a calendar that only had a few time slots per week for clients, for existing clients, gave them that link and said, here, look, you have a dedicated scheduling link now. Isn't that amazing? Check that customer service out. And what it really did was funnel them into the times of the week that she was energetically available to deal with hurting the cats a little bit. So automation can help you in a lot of ways. Yes, I I have been using Calumly <laughs> for this podcast on, on top of many other things. And it, it truly is uh, a lifesaver. Looking for a really cool gift to impress your parents, grandparents, or loved ones? Here's a fantastic choice for you. MyLifeInABook.com. They offer a fun way to get to know your loved ones better, collect timeless memories for future generations, and bring the whole family together. My favorite thing when there's a whole family involved is to keep it simple. Because you got people from all different generations. They might not know technology as well as you do, or maybe they're just like, hey, I don't want to take the time to spend learning something brand new. Luckily, mylifeinabook.com is very simple. You select from a series of fun and exciting questions that you wouldn't think to ask, like what's the funniest memory you have of your siblings, or do you have a secret you've never told your own parents? These questions get emailed to your parent, grandparent, and they write an answer and can even attach a meaningful photo. This happens every week, and at the end of one year, all of those questions get compiled and printed into a beautiful keepsake book. You can get copies for all your family members if you want. And to make sure you preserve it digitally in case anything happens to the physical copies, you can also get it in audio format. 
when you're listening to a podcast, clearly audio formats are fantastic. You're enjoying it. Why not enjoy it with your family as well? With mylifeinabook.com, you can show your loved ones they're meaningful to the family and help build their legacy. I promise you, your mom, your dad, your grandparents, whoever you gift this to are going to love it. It's such a cool thing. That's why it's on this podcast. Good people, cool things. <laughs> to save $10 off your first purchase, use discount code GPCT. That's GPCT to get $10 off mylifeinabook.com. And now back to the episode. Something that you talk about is, is hustle culture, which I don't know if it's gotten worse or better during the pandemic, because it seems like some people have not given up, but like definitely had their energy sapped and completely understandably so. And they're just like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm stepping back from, from doing all the things I was doing. Other people have doubled down on it. They're, uh, they're the daily double on Jeopardy. And they're like, we're going all in. Let's go for it. Which, of course, can be a very fast way to burnout. So how can people, I guess, not, maybe not get swept up as much in, in this idea of hustle culture so that they can avoid burnout down the road? Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I've, I've seen kind of what you're saying, the two sides of the coin, where some people realized, like, why am I, why am I working so hard? You know, we got that break and realized what it was like to breathe again. Whereas other people got really afraid and their reaction was to open up a whole lot of side hustles. And that leads right to uh, your point. Um, so so what I teach my clients is called skyscraper theory. This is something that I created myself as part of scaling. And um, basically, if you imagine when we have a skyscraper, we have multiple floors. The foundation is very important. And when you enter a skyscraper, uh, there are many ways to get around. There's elevators, there's stairs, there's escalators. If you're really cool, there's a hot air balloon in the lobby, right? Uh, And there's directories as well. So you can get up and down and all around. So that's the client experience or the customer experience. I can easily navigate and get around. And I feel like I know where I am going and kind of choose my own adventure. So I'm really well taken care of by the offerings within the skyscraper. From a career standpoint, we can only build one or two floors of a skyscraper at a time. It's literally impossible to stack multiple floors on top of each other at a single time. We can drop blueprints for multiple floors and really should because that's part of empire building. In order to have multiple offerings, you should know where you want to go next, but you can't do it all at once. Uh, And so once we start thinking about our business or businesses like a skyscraper, a single building instead of multiple silos, which is a major problem for navigation for your clients, then we start to think about what am I working on now and how much energy is that taking? Do I have the energy to build another floor or is another floor going to even be supported yet? So that's where the concept of empires and um, and skyscrapers meet for me and for what I teach my clients. I played this game called Sim Tower growing up. Yeah. And when you were talking <laughs> about building a skyscraper, I was just, I are are you familiar with it? I've never met someone that knew what it was. <laughs> Not Sim Tower, I but I was a major Sim City buff, so um, okay, yes, yes, concept that I understand. Whole, 
Excellent. Excellent. That whole ilk. I also enjoyed Sim Ant, where you were an ant and you had to avoid. What? I, I remember a lawnmower being a, a major villain in that game. That would make I, sense. And I think maybe like the family dog or something too could get you some. Really, <laughs> really gave me a new appreciation on both. I mean, Sim Tower, both on building skyscrapers yeah. and empires and Sim Ant on uh, life as an ant. Yeah. In- insect empathy. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> One other thing I want to make sure we chat about. You have the Empire Retreat that's coming yeah! up in May in Croatia. This is a two-part question because as we were talking about before we started recording, I have a European trip planned for next year. Croatia is a potential stop mm-hmm. on there. I still, I might have to, to map it out. So what's something that I have to see in Croatia and for people who might be interested in the Empire Retreat, what can they expect? Mm. So if you are going to Croatia and you really only have one thing, oh God, this is so hard. Um, (laughs) Okay, I'm going to give you two things because I'd be really in trouble if I don't. First of all, you need to see the sea organ. The sea organ is in Zadar. It's Z-A-D-A-R, Zadar. It's on the coast, as one might expect if there's a sea organ in it. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's the only sea organ in the world. So it's a series of steps onto the Riva, which is basically like the the um, the walkway. It used to be the city wall, and now it's just flat, and it goes along the sea. And so you can walk this kind of – it's not a boardwalk. It's made of marble and stone. Um, but anyway, so it's the steps that come out of the sea, which are really fun to swim off of because it's a step down into the sea rather than jumping off the seawall. Um, but what's unique about it is that there are slats – facing the sea and then further in on the higher steps there are holes and when the waves come in they push air through the steps and it makes a noise just like an organ and so you're literally hearing music of the sea it's absolutely beautiful and mesmerizing um if you're going in may uh probably the the um density of tourism will be not too bad it starts getting really crazy from June through August. Um, so that's number one. Number two then is inland, and you would go inland maybe two hours from Zadar to get to Plitvitska Yezera or um, the Plitvitsa um, lakes in English. So Plitvitsa, it's P-L-I-T, Plitvit. <laughs> I don't know how to spell in English and Croatian at the same time. Um but so this is a UNESCO World Heritage Nature Site. It is the only place in the world where these waterfalls fall in and they create stone because they have such mineral deposits. They're creating this type of stone faster than anywhere else in the world. It's so protected and it's just – it's um, terrace upon terrace of lakes and rivers and waterfalls. And as the sun goes across, the color changes from deep blue to emerald. Um, And they have these boardwalks all throughout it. You are not allowed to touch the water. Um, And and so, but there's also no railings on the boardwalks. (laughs) So good luck. (laughs) Um, And and the the water is so clear that you can see down to the bottom. You can see um, crayfish and just fish in general and the wildlife. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. If you like hiking, it's a great place to go hiking as well because it is um, rather hilly and mountainous. 
in order to create the waterfalls. So those are my two top two. If you have only like a day or two in Croatia, um, and it's two different types. So if you, if you have a penchant for nature, then go to Plitvička Jezera. If you really, um, love the sea and like seeing ancient cities, then go to Zadar and see the sea organ. Um, it's both sound you, wonderful. Oh, it's so good. And of course, <laughs> Empire is in neither of those places. <laughs> um, so Empire Retreat takes place in Split, which is um, about three hours south of Zadar. And uh, Split is where Emperor Diocletian, Roman Empire Di- Diocletian, built his palace. And so for Empire where we are thinking expansively about our skyscrapers and also applying the three pillars of business scaling actively to your business so you leave relieved and with no more burnout in your business, we stay in the emperor's palace for a week. And then we also go on excursions to tour the lavender fields on Havar um, and see the palace from an inside perspective, understanding how this has been a continuously occupied space for over 2,000 years. Um, and of course, the site of Game of Thrones, yes. <laughs> <laughs> this year is unique because you also have the option to get a private coaching session the day after uh, Empire is completed. So I keep it really small. It's only five people. But then I also am offering private co- coaching session in Croatia. We're going to drive down to Terstano, Arboretum, and Terstano. Uh, something to know about Croatian. Ours are verbs. So it's T-R-S-T, Trstano, <laughs> um, <laughs> is a beautiful olive grove and vineyard on the sea. If I could own it, I would, except for, you know, it's um, protected. Anyway, so we'll go there and it's a beautiful place for reflection um, and to receive really intensive coaching so that you can really go home um, with a completely transformed business and mindset. We do a photo shoot in the palace. So you have these photos documenting the transformation of yourself as an entrepreneur and your business. And finally, um, the, the add-on excursion. We go to Terstano and then we continue on to Dubrovnik, which is also the site of Game of Thrones and uh, was the rival city to Venice for hundreds of years as far as shipping in the Mediterranean goes. So that's what we have in store for Empire. (laughs) Well, it sounds fantastic. Hopefully a better ending than Game of Thrones. No! Uh, I have not I have not seen the show so that's probably an unnecessary dig but uh, Oh no the dig is valid. Said. Yeah. <laughs> valid. I refuse to watch the new show. I like the uh, the spite not watching. I am good. opinionated. Very I'm very opinionated. <laughs> We're going to eradicate burnout for small businesses and we will not watch any more Game of Thrones. <laughs> Sounds like a fantastic agenda. Okay, Veronica, you are almost off the hook here. We always wrap up with a top three. And for you, what are your top three books? Oh, yes. Okay, so my top three books are right next to me, actually. Am I allowed to say my book, actually? I don't know if that's a... Okay, sure, so, why not? Yeah. <laughs> well, that might be. I'll, I'll say that as a bonus. So first uh, book is The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. Um, changed my life. So that that book came to me right when I was in that burnout place in my tech company. It's not about scaling, but it's about thinking about what you want for your future. And it really helped me get clear on developing my skyscraper uh, blueprint and actually really first made clear, painfully clear that I didn't even 
have a skyscraper blueprint. I was just living day by day in a panic. So Jack Canfield's The Success Principles, number one. Number two for a pop of fiction uh, is Robert Heinlein's Stranger in a Strange Land. This is a phenomenal uh, fictional anthropological discovery about what does it mean to be human. Uh, it's the premise is a, a man, uh, well, a boy is born on Mars and is raised by Martians and then is discovered and brought to Earth by the next Martian um, ex- uh, excursion. And since he was raised by another species of intelligent being, right, he has a very different way of looking at things. And there are lots of, um, in my opinion, really valuable takeaways for his way of looking at the world. Um, For example, he will have experiences and they will be overwhelming. And so he files them away and then later meditates on them so that he can uh, learn to understand and also, even if they were negative, cherish them. And it's just such a great perspective on life, but it's also a hysterical read. It's really fun. Um, The third book that I love is For Writing. Um, and it's the story grid by Sean Coyne. So this is a nonfiction, but it's about how to write a book well. So if you are a writer, I suggest this because it really helps you to understand what makes a story work and how to make a story turn, a scene turn, which means have uh, that moment of miniature climax leading to the ultimate climax. And this is actually very valuable for essayists and blog writers as well. And then, of course, my bonus uh, is my own book, Stories of Elders, which I interviewed the greatest generation about the high-tech revolution. And um, I have several copies of that on my shelf as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a rule. If you've written a book, you need, I don't know, I would say at least like 45 copies at any given time, like within arm's reach. I I, So if I was still in the United States, uh, I would. There are a few boxes. Um, and my best friend has a whole box of books of my books, which are signed so that if somebody makes a purchase of a signed book off of the stories of elders website, he will ship it out for me since it's a little too expensive for me to ship books overseas. (laughs) You have to have a team. Do you see? You don't always have to hire a full-time employee, but you must have a team. Yes. That's very good. (laughs) Words of wisdom from Mama V. There you go. Well, Mama V, thank you for taking the time to chat. This was fantastic. If people want to learn more about you or perhaps sign up for the Empire Retreat or pick up a copy of her book, where can they find you? Come come learn more, darling. Um, so you can go straight to veronicakieran.com, which I realize not not everyone can spell um, because it's just a bizarre last name. But Kieran, it is spelled like the beer. which is based off a mythological creature um, combination of dragon and unicorn. So you spell that K-I-R-I-N. So veronicakirin.com. I'm sure Joey will have the link in the show notes, but that's where you can find everything. That's where you can find my book. That's where you can get into Scaling Lab. And for Empire, um, I'm having two free live Q&As on Zoom because, um, you know, totally – Changing your business in one week sounds like 
a crazy promise, and I promise you it's true. Um, so former <laughs> attendees will be on the call, and um, I invite you to attend in order to just get clear as to how this might really change your life. Perhaps sounds as crazy as a 10-hour work week in tech, yet you've managed to pull it off. I swear, I could pull out the contract. It shows. (laughs) I did it. (laughs) It was a crazy journey, though. I I can say that. You know, I don't recommend taking the long road, and that's what I'm here to help. Yes, we will not follow the yellow brick road. (laughs) Follow the the more direct, (laughs) enjoyable road. The Veronica Brick Road. I don't know. Yes. Veronica, thank you again. This was great. Thank you. This was really fun. And of course, we have to end with a corny joke, as we always do. What happened to the snowman that got upset? He had himself a big old meltdown. Get after it today, people. Good People, Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you're a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show. You can send me a message, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People, Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.